Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. Revelation chapter 16. And in many ways, we can say this is the moment we've all been waiting for. This is the moment that the saints have been praying for. This is when God finally acts and puts an end to the wicked and oppressive rule of man and of Satan. Let's、uh, open with prayer and get right into Revelation chapter 16. Our Heavenly Father, we pause and again, we just want to give you so much thanks, Father, that in this World that is、uh, spiraling out of control, in a world that is just being plunged into deeper and deeper darkness.、Uh, we thank you, Father, for your ancient word. We thank you that it's been preserved. We thank you that you've put in us a heart and a desire to want to understand it.、Uh, we thank you that it's encoded and that only those that have this desire will be able to decode it according to your will and your grace. We thank you for it, Father, and we just pray now that you'll bless our study. That you'll bless our understanding, that you'll deepen our conviction, deepen our faith. We know that Christ said, when he returns, will he find faith? We pray, Father, that he will find it in us. And we thank you now. We ask this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we begin now in Revelation chapter 16, we're just going to back up a little bit. And let me just、uh, get to the text here. And I want to go right back actually to、um, chapter 3. So, last, last week、uh, when we met, we talked about the, the Philadelphian era. And the, we wanted just to disabuse those who believe that you know, if you're in the Philadelphian church, you will not have to suffer through the tribulation. It's clear that、uh, martyrdom for the saints is something that God honors, that Jesus Christ honors, and those who are martyred for his sake. Are held in very high esteem by God and they are honored, including the Philadelphian and the Smyrna congregations. But we wanted to just highlight here that in this、um, verse, in verse 10 of chapter 3, because these faithful saints have kept the word of his patience, in Matthew 24, Christ said that those who endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And those who endure, Are those who keep the word of his patience, that we understand why we need to be patient, that we understand that all of this is part of God's grand design. And because of, the, of that, he will also keep the Philadelphians from the hour of temptation. And that many, we said,、uh, just automatically interpreted this hour to be the great tribulation. And we showed that that's not, in fact, the case, that the hour of temptation is the hour of trial. 
on upon all the world, upon them that dwell upon the earth. It's it's the time of their trial. This is the, the final hour when God acts and acts upon the wicked. And then if we just continue or compare that now to chapter 14, what, you know, what is this hour? He says in, in uh, chapter 14, verse 7, the angel says with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. This is the hour that the saints are protected from. This is the hour that the saints are sealed from. Uh, Satan will have his way. The scripture, in fact, says that the beast will overcome the saints. So Satan will have his way. But when God finally acts, the saints will not be subjected to God's wrath. We will, in, in effect, be passed over. We will experience the Passover. And that's why the very text in Revelation says they overcame the beast through the blood of the Lamb. So there's going to be this, this Passover, which is going to lead to the second exodus. So this, this hour, we want to be very clear that this hour that the saints are protected from is the last hour. It's the hour when God finally acts. And that's what we're going to see now in chapter 16 is the unfolding of God's wrath in this final hour upon those who dwell upon the earth. Not upon the saints, upon those who dwell, those who are established in the earth. Now this is all good news. When God unveils his wrath, when he pours out his wrath upon mankind, as, as terrible a time as this is for mankind, it is good news. This is the gospel. This is the ushering in of the kingdom of God and the end of oppression on the earth. The end of the, the torture and the wickedness of man inspired by the devil. That's what this heralds. And that's why it's good news. That's why it's part of the gospel. And, and we know it's part of the gospel because of the prophecy that Jesus Christ quoted. Remember when we were studying Luke together, when Christ overcame Satan in the wilderness, and then he began his ministry. And it says here, after he conquered the devil, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And in verse 17, there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. So he's in the synagogue, and they pass him the scroll of Isaiah. And when he had opened the scroll, he found the place where it was written. In other words, he deliberately turned to this passage. He deliberately went and sought this passage, and then he quoted it to them in the synagogue. And he quotes, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, so he had, he had received the, the Spirit of God. He's now quoting, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That was his purpose, to, to, to receive the Spirit and preach good news to the poor. The poor represent the oppressed. That those who uh, uh, are dwelling upon the earth have gone the way of the devil and they are oppressing the poor. But Christ has come to preach good news to the poor, to say that the kingdoms of this world are going to be overturned, he's going to establish his kingdom, and the poor will be lifted up, and the powerful and the rich will be brought down. So he says, he's quoting Isaiah, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So in, in Satan's world, there are a lot of broken hearts, to preach deliverance to the captives. Again, in Satan's world, there's slavery and captivity, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now notice this, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So he finishes quoting Isaiah, and then it says he closed the book. So he went in, he received the scroll, he unscrolled the scroll to go specifically to what we call Isaiah 61. Of course, back then they didn't have the the verses broken into chapters and verses, the scripture broken into chapters and verses. So he scrolls through the scroll to find this specific prophecy. He reads it to them. He then closes the scroll, gives it back to the assistant, and sits down, meaning he's now ready to teach. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. They were wondering, what is he going to say? Well, he was quoting, and what he actually says to them is, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. But when we look at the scripture that he was quoting, he did not quote it completely. He actually quoted it incompletely. There's a part that he left out. 
And so he's quoting Isaiah 61 and verse 1, that the Spirit of the Lord God, and this is the Isaiahic servant that is prophesied, that there is a, a humble servant to come to redeem Israel before the Messiah comes to establish the kingdom. And this is what the Jews missed, that they needed to be redeemed, that they are faulty people, and they needed to be redeemed first. So this Isaiahic servant is to come in the Spirit of the Lord God. It says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news, good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he stopped and he closed up the scroll. He didn't finish the verse. He interrupted the verse in the middle of the verse. The rest of the verse says that he's to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all that mourn. So this day of vengeance puts an end to the mourning. The mourning of God's people. That this day, that's what this day of vengeance does. But he didn't quote it because he had to fulfill the first part as in his, in his incarnation. So when he came to earth, it was all about fulfilling the Isaiahic servant. This second part is about coming as the powerful Messiah, coming as the king, coming to conquer his enemies and establish the kingdom of God. And so this is the day of vengeance. And this, so he didn't quote this because that, that was not yet to be fulfilled. That This is going to be fulfilled in what we're looking now at in chapter 16 of Revelation, when, he, when the Lord God finally acts to establish his kingdom. So the, the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, that there is such wickedness in the earth, that the earth is filled with mourning. God's people are mourning. They're being hunted down. They're being killed. They're being persecuted. And now he's coming to comfort his people and to, and to put an end to this wickedness. So this is what we're looking at now. It's the second half of the prophecy that Jesus Christ turned, deliberately turned to, to to begin his ministry, to say, I've come to preach the gospel, but not to fulfill this part two. And this part two now is what we're going to see fulfilled in chapter 16. But this proclamation of the gospel, he began it in his ministry, and we as his saints are to continue it. So that's what the saints have been doing through time, is continuing the preaching of the gospel. So he says here in chapter Matthew 24 in his prophecy that this gospel of the kingdom, now this is the saints that are going to be continuing this, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So this is the work of the saints that Jesus Christ began the proclamation of the gospel, the saints must continue this proclamation of good news of the kingdom of God. And it's to be preached in all the world. For what? To try to convert the whole world? Not to convert the whole world. It's to be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. That all nations are going after the beast. All nations are worshiping the devil. And the people of God have to warn the world and preach the truth of the kingdom of God as a witness. This is all about testimony. When Christ established the church, he told the apostles, you shall be my witnesses. And this is all about the testimony of Christ. And then shall the end come. So it's very clear then that this gospel needs to be preached to the whole world, to these people who are going after the beast and worshiping the beast. They need to hear the gospel. And we will have supernatural help. So we will do our part. But in chapter 14 and verse 6, John says he saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And remember in Revelation 3 verse 10 that the Philadelphians are going to faithful saints are going to be protected from this final hour that's going to come upon those that dwell upon the earth. Well, here, this gospel needs to be preached to those who dwell upon the earth. And so this is our work, is to have the... Christianity is not for cowards. If we are cowards, we cannot be Christians. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of power. And with the Holy Spirit, we speak truth to power, regardless of the consequences. Truth is truth. And so the saints preach this gospel. 
And even in, despite the overcoming of the saints by the beast, this angel now continues this work. We had the two witnesses preaching the gospel to all the world. And now this, John sees this angel having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell upon the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So Christ says this gospel has to be preached to all the world. That's to them that dwell upon the earth. And then shall the end come. And they will be without excuse. God's judgments, and we're going to read these judgments in chapter 16, uh, as brutal as they are, as, as profound as they are, they are just. And anybody who suffers from these plagues, it's, upon, it's on their own head. They deserve it. Even so, amen. There'll be no excuse. And so God sends his saints. He sends the two witnesses. He even sends an angel to ensure that the gospel is preached to all them that dwell upon the earth, to all tongues and all kindreds and all nations, so that there is no excuse. And he says, this angel followed them. So the same angel that preaches the gospel as a witness, following the, the, the preaching from the two witnesses and the saints, he followed them, saying with a loud voice, nobody can say, I didn't know, I didn't hear. If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark, so anybody who, who receive, this is a warning, so there'll be no excuse. If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So God is not joking here, and they will, they will be without excuse. So anybody who, receive, who denies the gospel, turns their back on the gospel, receives this symbol of the mark of the beast, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. So God is, as patient as God is, and as much as the saints are pleading with God, how long before you act, now he acts. And this cup of his indignation will be poured out upon the earth, upon those who dwell upon the earth. And that whoever accepts the mark of the beast shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and so now we we were, we were in chapter 15 last week and we saw john saw another sign in heaven it was great and marvelous seven angels having the seven last plagues so we were introduced to these plagues in uh chapter 15 we're actually going to go into detail now uh with the plagues here in chapter 16. so in chapter 15 they were introduced that the angels have these seven uh, last plagues these are the final plague this is this is God is now acting to destroy the wickedness of man and so we know this number seven is the the symbol of com completion or completeness and uh, here are the seven last plagues remember now uh, it, for in them is the wrath of God and you remember in Exodus Moses had uh, ten plagues uh, he was he the ten plagues were sent upon Pharaoh and Egypt why to release God's people so that God's people could, could go and worship him. And now this is what we see in the end time, that this spiritual Egypt, this, this end time Babylon system, God is acting to destroy it and bring it down the same way he brought down ancient Egypt. But it's the last seven plagues. This is the, the final blow to Satan's empire, to bring down this empire and uh, establish the kingdom of God. And as we said, this number seven really pictures the complete wrath of God. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. And he says, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And we covered that last week, that the sea of glass is before God's throne. But the mingling of fire is, it has, his wrath is now included. And in front of the, in, in, in this, uh, in the face of his wrath, there are people standing. And the wicked ask the question, who is able to stand before the lamb? Well, the answer is here. He saw them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name. He saw these people, these victorious saints, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. So while Satan may have been successful in, in prevailing against the saints, that overcoming of the saints 
actually is the saints overcoming the devil. The same way Christ overcame the devil through his love for Israel, we overcome the devil through our love for Christ. And so as he believes he's victorious, as the wicked are putting the saints to death, the saints are actually rising victorious. They are, we are brought back to life. And we're able to stand now in the midst of the wrath of God, because this is the sealing of the saints. The saints are sealed through our faithfulness. And it is that sealing, that faithfulness, with the seal as a symbol of our faithfulness, and it is that faithfulness that protects us from this final hour when God acts upon the wicked. So anybody who's received the mark of the beast, and so this is not going to be some secret thing. It's going to be very evident. The whole world will be warned. Do not accept the mark of the beast. The kingdom of God is coming. And so there's no in-between. We People are either worshipping God and looking forward to his kingdom, or they're worshipping the devil and trying to uh, rejoice and establish uh, the, the kingdom of the devil. So he says here now, uh, they sing the song of Moses. So that's very significant. It, it is a callback to the overcoming of Egypt, that Israel did not have to overcome the Pharaoh. God overcame the Pharaoh on Israel's behalf, and they sang the song of Moses, because the same, the sec this is the second exodus. It's, it's happening again. God is now moving to bring down the satanic empires. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works. This is the work of God, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. The wicked will be without excuse. God has given them every opportunity. God has been so patient that the saints are crying out with a loud voice and clamor. We saw it in, in when the fifth seal was opened in, in chapter 6. They're, they're pleading with God, please act, how much longer? But God is being patient. And God is giving every human being every opportunity to repent. And finally, his patience reaches a limit. And all the angels and all the saints agree, God's judgments are just and true. You know, people might read these judgments and think they're so harsh. Well, the devil and his servants deserve this harsh treatment. And we'll see this as we read through this. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Now, I mentioned that this is about uh, going back to the first Exodus. If we go to the first Exodus in chapter 9, uh, verse 13 of Exodus, the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. So this is this weak Israelite going in front of the most powerful man in the world at the time and delivering God's message as a witness. And that's the same thing that the saints are doing in the end time, Pharaoh being a proxy for the devil, the beast being a proxy for the devil. Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. So this is the devil is trying to capture God's people. The devil wants to be like the Most High and have all humanity made in God's image worshiping him. And the message to the devil and to the beast is let God's people go, that they may serve him. So, so we are freed so that we can serve God. For I will at this time send my plagues upon your heart. So that's the purpose of the plagues, is to bring down the kingdom and to release God's people. And upon your servants and upon your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. And this has been prophesied again and again. So as it happened in, in ancient Egypt, it's to happen again with Babylon. And here David in Psalm 79 says, Pour out your wrath upon the heathen that have not known you, and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon your name. So when this wrath comes, when this final hour comes, God has no mercy for the wicked, nor should we. Nor should we. We should not be reading these plagues and thinking, wow, this is a bit harsh, this is a bit much. No. God has given the wicked every opportunity to repent, and they've increased in their wickedness. And so here come these plagues. And David appeals to God, and the saints are appealing to God, and the angels appeal to God to, to judge righteously. And so David here says, to pour out your wrath upon the heathen that have not known you, and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon your name. Jeremiah says the same thing. Pour out your fury upon the heathen that have not known you, that, have, that know you not. 
So these heathen, they're established, they're dwelling in the earth, they're establishing their empires, and they don't know God. And because they don't know God, they are abusive. And they are abusing the people of God. And the people of God are pleading with God to pour out his fury upon these wicked nations and upon the families that call not on your name. For they have eaten up Jacob, God's covenant people. This is why we call them beasts, because they eat up God's covenant people and devoured him and consumed him and have made his habitation desolate. Ezekiel, same thing. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads. So this is the patience of the saints, that he who kills by the sword must die by the sword. He who takes captives must be taken captive. So we understand that God, in his wrath, will recompense upon their own heads their own ways. Back to chapter 16 of Revelation, verse 2. So there are seven angels with the seven bowls of judgment. And now, and, and now in chapter 16, we're going to see what each of these bowls represents because they're symbolic in terms of God's judgment. So we see here that the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. So notice the first bowl is upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast. Remember, those who are faithful to God are sealed. So they are either martyred or they're protected somehow. In the same way that ancient Israel did not suffer from the plagues of God. Those plagues were specifically for the Egyptians, the, the rebellious Egyptians. At the same time in this final hour, when God pours out his wrath, the saints have either been martyred or they're protected. This is for the wicked. I felt there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. So they've been warned. In, his, in Exodus, when we see the first, uh, the, this plague, it shall, come, it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. So this plague that we're seeing in the final hour is a callback to the plague that we saw in ancient Israel, in ancient Egypt. So the same way God brought Egypt down, he's bringing this spiritual Egypt down in the very same way. So these, these boils upon man were the first plague. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven and it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. So the magicians were trying to think that, oh, it's just magic, but they were now inflicted with these boils and there's nothing they could do about it. This is coming from the hand of God. Now, the second angel, so the first, the first one was upon the earth, the second one now pours out his bowl upon the sea. So first it was the earth, the second one is upon the sea. And it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. Going back to Exodus, the first, the first uh, bringing down of, of Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, in this you shall know that I am the Lord. So these plagues are designed to prove who is God. The beast is establishing himself as God and everybody is worshipping. The same way Pharaoh established himself as God and everybody was worshipping him. God, the true God, is establishing through these plagues and the lack of control that man has over these plagues. Even though they're worshipping these gods, they're understanding who the true God is. Thus says the Lord, in this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in my hand upon the waters which are in the river and they shall be turned to blood and the fish that is in the river shall die and the river shall stink and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river the Lord spoke unto Moses say unto Aaron take your rod to Aaron and stretch out your hand upon the waters of Egypt upon their streams upon their rivers upon their ponds and upon all their pools of water 
that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in the vessels of wood and vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, as the Lord commanded. And he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river turned to blood. And the fish that were in the river died, and the river stunk. And the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. And the, there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh's hardening his heart, more plagues are coming. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and neither did he set his heart to this also. And all the Egyptians dug round about the river to, for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And the Nile River was a big deal in Egypt. The whole civilization was built around it, and now it's full of blood. And seven days were fulfilled after the Lord had smitten the river. Now we come to, so that was the waters of Egypt. Egypt didn't have sea, but here now and then the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. So first it was the sea. Now the third angel, also the rivers. So all of the waters now in this end time are blood, just as it was for the Egyptians. And in Psalm 78, David writes, and they had turned the rivers, speaking of this ancient uh, plague, the first exodus, turned their rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. So the same thing happened again. In verse 5 of chapter 16, And I heard the angel of the waters say, listen to this, you, so men are suffering, they can't drink, they're dehydrating, uh, the, everywhere they turn is just blood. The angel says, and I heard the angels of the waters say, you are righteous, O Lord, which art and was and shall be, because you have judged this way. So this judgment, the angels are saying, wow, this is righteous judgment. Mankind is in pain. They're dehydrating. They can't find water anywhere. Everywhere they turn, it's blood. And the angels are looking at this and saying, wow, you are righteous in all your ways. He says, because you have judged this way. David says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. He's never unrighteous. There's nothing God does that is unrighteous and holy in all his works. The reason the angel says, wow, this is righteous judgment. He explains in verse six, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, all of them. Anybody who receives the mark of the beast is complicit in the shedding of blood of the saints and the prophets. And so this judgment, the angel says, you are righteous, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Isaiah actually prophesied this, and he says in Isaiah, God says, and I will feed them that oppress you with their own flesh. This is the patience of the saints, that we understand that God will act, and he will act with righteous judgment, and he will act in such a way that he will recompense upon the wicked their own wickedness. The very thing that they rejoice in and delight in, that's what's coming upon their own heads. He says in Isaiah, I will feed them that oppress you with their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood, as with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. So there's a question in the earth, just as there was in ancient Egypt, when Pharaoh was establishing himself as the God, the, the, the God, the, the son of God, and everybody was worshiping Pharaoh as God. But, and they were oppressing the Israelites, and God acted to show that he is God, and he's the savior and redeemer of Jacob. And that is the same thing that's going to happen in the, in the near future, that the beast is establishing himself as God and everybody is worshiping the beast and who can make war with him and God is going to act to show who the true God is and that he's the redeemer and the savior of Israel. Back to Revelation 16. And I heard another out of the altar say, so one angel says, this judgment is righteous because this is, they, they, this is what they did and now it's come upon them. And then John hears another angel out of the altar say, 
Even so, totally agrees. Amen. Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So with all this suffering all over the earth, the holy angels are looking and saying, this is good judgment. This is righteous judgment. Everyone has been warned, and the wicked have chosen their wickedness, and the faithful have chosen faithfulness, and now the faithful are suffering, and God now acts and brings upon the wicked their own wickedness. And the angels are just looking at this and saying, this is righteous judgment. In fact, David in Psalm 19 says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God judges with righteous judgment. And so we have to warn the wicked that God is a righteous God. And he's patient, but when he acts, he will act with righteous judgment. In Psalm 145, uh, we, we read this, that the Lord is righteous in all his ways. Everything God does is righteous, even when he acts like this and brings this, this pain and suffering upon mankind. In continuing in chapter 16 of Revelation, the fourth angel, he pours out his bowl upon the sun. And again, this is all symbolism, but he's going to pour it upon the sun. And power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. Now, when they are scorched with this great heat and they see all of these things happening, do they turn to God? The, the prophecy tells us the opposite. They do the opposite. Men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God. They, they, are, they are wholeheartedly in with the beast. They are wholeheartedly with the devil. And when God acts now, rather than repent, they double down and they blaspheme the name of God, which has power over these plagues, rather than turn to God and seek forgiveness. And they repented not to give him glory. I mean, this, this is um, the depth of wickedness that is in the heart of man. And, and the seed of this, this is sort of the wickedness in full bloom, but the seed of this wickedness is in man today. Just the environment is not conducive for it to be fully unveiled. But it's going to be unveiled. It's going to come to its full bloom. It's going to be fully ripe. But this is the wickedness that's in man. That even in the face of these plagues, rather than repent and give God glory, they know that it's the true God. They'd rather worship the devil. And the fifth angel, so now the fifth angel pours out his vial, his bowl, upon the seat of the beast, or the throne of the beast. So now he goes to the very heart of the beast kingdom and he pours his, the contents of his bowl, the wrath of God, upon the very throne of the beast. And his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain. So now with this pouring upon the seat of the beast, there is darkness that comes upon the land and, the, and mankind is in great pain. Going back to ancient Egypt, we see, the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Even darkness which may be felt. So it's so dark, it's so thick, you can actually feel it. That's what happened to ancient Egypt when God was bringing down that empire. That's what's going to happen to Babylon when God brings down Babylon. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. They couldn't even move. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. So again, the, the, these plagues are not for God's people. These plagues are upon the wicked. God's people are sealed and protected from this. And that's what, again, what it means that I will protect you. I will keep you from the hour of trial, the hour of temptation that will come upon all the world, upon all them that dwell upon the earth. This is what it's talking about. It's talking about God's wrath, not Satan's wrath. God's wrath will not come upon the faithful of God. Verse 11, And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores 
and repented not of their deeds. This again is the depth of wickedness. And this is, this is what the saints, this is the wickedness that the saints will be facing. That these are people that are going to be saying very flowery words and very going to be sounding like they're very righteous people. That they're going to be very religious, they're serving their God. But this is the hatred. And this is the wickedness. And this is the evil. This is the extent of it. That they hate God. It's not so, so much that they hate the saints. Christ says, you know, it, they, they hate you because they hate me. They have the heart of Satan. And so they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. The sixth angel now pours out his bowl upon the great river Euphrates. So this river Euphrates, Euphrates is to Babylon what the Nile River was to Egypt. The whole ancient civilization of Egypt was built around the Nile River. The whole ancient civilization of Babylon was built around the Euphrates River. This is that great river, and it runs all the way from Turkey through Syria, through Iraq. So this is a, a massive river. And so the sixth angel pours out his bowl upon the great river Euphrates, the heart of the civilization. And the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So these kings of the east are on the other side of the Euphrates River. Their way is being prepared that they can now come in, into Jerusalem, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And this again is um, uh, prophesied, if we look at Isaiah, the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. So in the future, this tongue of the Egyptians is the dominant tongue, but God says he's going to destroy it. And with his mighty wind, shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in the seven streams and make men go over dry shod so the, the purpose of drying up this euphrates river is so that these armies can now go over it and there shall be a, a highway for the remnant of his people which shall be left from assyria like as it was to israel in the day that he came up out of the land of egypt so this is leading up to the second exodus so when this final battle takes place, God is then going to lead his people into the promised land because all of this will be dried up and they can walk over the same way it happened in ancient Egypt. In Jeremiah, the prophet writes, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will plead your cause and take vengeance for you, and I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. So this is now these, prophet, these ancient prophecies are being now fulfilled. Continuing in Revelation 16. And I saw three unclean spirits. So with this sixth bowl now, and the drying up of the river Euphrates, associated with that, he says, I saw three unclean spirits, and they were like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. So this is all symbolic. So these are real unclean spirits, but they look like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So these frogs come out of their mouths, and this is again another plague that is reminiscent or takes us back, calls us back to what happened in ancient Egypt. In Exodus 8, verse 6, And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. So these frogs are another ancient plague that God is using again. And it says here in verse 14, For they are the spirits of devils. So with the drying up of the Euphrates, we see these three evil spirits come on the scene. And it says they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So with the sixth bowl, the river Euphrates is dried up, these evil spirits come on the scene and their purpose, these are lying spirits, their purpose is to deceive the kings of the earth and the whole world and to get them to come in their deception to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So they are coming, the prophecy says, armies will surround Jerusalem in Matthew 24. So they're coming with a great hatred for God's people to destroy God's people once and for all because of the operation of these these devils these spirits that 
come from the drying up of the great river Euphrates. He says, Behold, this is now Christ speaking, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So in Matthew 24, God says, He that endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. So our Christianity, it's not, you know, whether or not we can proclaim Christ in times of peace, in times of abundance, in times of, you know, business as usual. Our Christianity, the value of our Christianity, is proclaiming Christ when the whole world has turned against him. When the whole world is demonstrating its hatred for Christ, and we're, we're seeing the world turning, we're seeing it pivoting, we're seeing a hatred for Christ just really growing, and a tolerance, even a celebration of false prophets and idols, but a hatred for Christ. And this is, is culminating into something that's going to be very severe, but the saints will faithfully proclaim Christ. And so he says he's coming as a thief, Blessed is he that watches. So we need to be studying these prophecies, understanding how the world is changing, how it relates to these, the, the scripture, and keep his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So this should remind us of what God said to the church at Laodicea, the congregation at Laodicea. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich, and white raiment that you may be clothed. So we should understand from this that the seven churches represent the state of God's church. And a part of God's church will have the name, but will not have the righteousness. And so even though these saints have the name and the church of God and they're going through the rituals and they look like God's people, from God's perspective, they're naked. And he's coming as a thief. And, he, and again, the hypocrites in Zion are afraid. The hypocrites have been caught off guard. So as we, especially now as we're going into Passover, we need to be buying of God gold tried in the fire. We mustn't be afraid of trial. We must, what, what, what we must most, most want and be most desirous of is God's approval. So he says that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear and anoint your eye with eye salve that you may see. So there are going to be saints, this is prophecy, there are going to be saints that are going to be embarrassed, that are going to be quote-unquote stripped naked for all to see. That they were there maybe proclaiming the gospel, and at the same time they're in with the wicked and suffering with the wicked because the heart wasn't pure, the heart wasn't clean, the true, true repentance, wholehearted repentance had not taken place. Continuing, in Revelation 16 and he gathered them together into a place in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon or Harmageddon that's the the valley or the Mount of Megiddo that it was this specific place that the river Euphrates is dried up and God is gathering them here this is where the final battle is going to take place and this is a you know a callback this Armageddon or Harmageddon there are many battles that have taken place here and in Judges 5.19, the kings came and fought, then fought the kings of Canaan in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no gain of money. So the repeatedly, kings have been uh, conquered in this valley of Megiddo. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, this is 2 Kings 23, went up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. And King Josiah went against him and he slew him at Megiddo when he had seen him. Many kings have been slain at Megiddo. In, in 2 Kings 23, And his servants carried him in a chariot dead from Megiddo, and brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own sepulcher. And the people of the land took Jehoaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him, and made him king in his father's stead. So jo Josiah was slain at Megiddo. In 2 Chronicles 35, goes on to talk about uh, this same Pharaoh Necho, and what happened in the valley of Megiddo. In Zechariah 12, in that day, verse 11, shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadadrimon in the valley of Megiddo. So this is a well-known uh, place of slaughter. 
It's the valley of slaughter. And God causes the river Euphrates to be dried up for all the kings to come to the valley of Megiddo where they will be slaughtered. It's the valley of slaughter. Continuing in Revelation 16, verse 17, now that God is now establishing his kingdom, putting an end to the kingdoms of this world. In verse 17, And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven and from the throne, saying, It is done. Finally, it is done. It is all over. So, this seventh angel now takes his bowl, pours it into the air, and finally, there's this voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It's done. Finally, it's over. Verse 18. And there were voices, and thunders, and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. So this is it. It's now finally over. And the great city was divided into three parts. So as a result of this great earthquake, the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So finally now, it's over. Babylon is brought down, and, and she is now receiving the fierceness of God's wrath. In Jeremiah 25, the prophet Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel unto me, Take the wine cup of this fury at my hand, and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. So all these nations that have been a part of this Babylonian system, are going to suffer the fury and the wrath of God. In verse continuing in chapter 16, And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and still men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. So this is it now. Finally, the seventh bowl is poured and, and the end of the Babylonian system is come down. Now, in Exodus, this, this hail, we saw it in the first Exodus when God brought down Egypt. In chapter 9, he says, Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as has not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. So there's going to be this grievous hail. Send therefore now and gather your cattle and all that you have in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them and they shall die. So these plagues are focused. They're focused on the wicked. They're focused on the disobedient. It's not everybody on earth gets this. It's those that, in Egypt here, those that did not obey God, that, that were defiant. They're the ones who suffered. In verse 20 of Exodus 9, it says, He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. So there were Egyptians that feared God, and this plague did not hurt them. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. So they were defiant. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast, and upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. So this fire mingled with the hail. It came from heaven upon Egypt in the first exodus. It's happening again in the second exodus. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field, 
and broke every tree of the field. And so coming back now to the last verse of chapter 16, verse 21, there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. And then next week we're going to go into chapter 17, and there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven bowls, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come here, and I will show unto you the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters. So this is now a deeper insight into the judgment that upon the woman that sits upon many waters. So that's what we're going to get into chapter 17. But what you're seeing here in chapter 17 is going back in time. So, so we're, we're God, the, the seventh seal has been, uh, or the seventh bowl has been uh, released, and uh, everything is now done. It's done. But now John is invited to see in a bit more detail in chapter 17, which we'll cover next week. But I, this, this timing, I want to just talk about this for a moment as we, as we finish here. In chapter 11, when we were looking at the... Um, we were looking at the seven trumpets. And in chapter 11, the, the trumpets began in chapter 8 and chapter, continued in chapter 9. There was a, a bit of an interlude in chapter 10. And then the seventh trumpet continued in chapter 11. And in chapter 11, verse 15, it says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So finally, with the blowing of the seventh trumpet, is the conquest of all of the kingdoms of this world. And all of the kingdoms of the world, with the seventh trumpet, have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Now, in verse 16, it says, The four and twenty elders which sat before God on their, on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which are and which was and are to come, because you've taken to you your great power and you have reigned. So now in, in the seventh trumpet, God has reigned. However, in chapter 16, when we have the seven bowls, in verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl, and where did he pour his bowl? Upon the throne of the beast. But wait a minute. I thought with the seventh trumpet, all of these kingdoms were, were quashed and, and, and crushed, and God began to reign. Now we're at the seventh bowl, and the beast still has his throne established. And so the angel pours out his bowl upon the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. So here we are at the fifth bowl, and the kingdom is established. The beast, th the beast throne and kingdom are established, and God now fills his kingdom with darkness. But in chapter 11, with the seventh trumpet, the kingdoms were crushed, and God began to reign. So, so there's a problem now we have to reconcile the seven bowls with the seven trumpets. And here now, in verse 11, they're blaspheming God, as we just read. Well, how is it that God is ruling, but the kingdom of the beast is still established, so much so that men are blaspheming God, when the four elders praised God that he began to reign? Well, I think there's a chronology here that we need to look at, that we see from chapter 6 through to chapter 11, we see a chronology things happening in chronology, in a chronological order. Beginning in chapter 12, the scripture says, There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under his, her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pains to be delivered. And in verse 5, And she brought forth a man-child, that is Jesus Christ, this is Israel, giving birth to Christ, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. So we see from chapter 12, when we went from chapter 6 
to 11, we were following in a chronological order. And we got to chapter 11, where finally we got to the end. The seventh trumpet was blown, and God's kingdom was established. Now we come into chapter 12, and it's like somebody hit rewind, and we've gone back in time to when Christ, to Christ's incarnation, when Israel gave birth to Christ. So the chronology has, has been broken at chapter 12, and we've gone back in time to start over again. So this now helps us to reconcile what is going on with the seven bowls. And if we just quickly do an analysis here, if we just uh, go here, we'll do this analysis now, of the seven bowls and the seven last plagues. So if we look at these plagues uh, that are introduced in, in chapter 16, we can see that the first angel poured his bowl upon the earth, the second upon the sea, and it became blood, the third upon the rivers and waters, and they became blood, the fourth upon the sun, the fifth upon the throne of the beast, the sixth upon the great river Euphrates, and then the, the seventh, it's all done. So the focus of each of these bowls is first the earth, then the sea, then the rivers, then the sun, then the seat of the beast, then the great river Euphrates, and then the end. If we look at the seven trumpets that took us from chapter 8 to chapter 11 before the rewind, we see the very same pattern. That the first trumpet was sounded and it was upon the earth. The second trumpet was sounded and the sea became blood. The third trumpet was sounded and the rivers and the fountains of waters became blood. Or it was upon them. They became bitter. The fourth angel sounded and it was upon the sun just as the fourth bowl was upon the sun the fifth angel sounded and the key to the bottomless pit was given so that these locusts could come out of the pit when the seventh bowl was poured it was poured upon the seat of the beast and these three frogs these three devils came out Actually, that's what the, the next one, but this was on the, on the seat of the beast. So the same thing in terms of the bottomless pit, really uh, reinforcing the, the, the kingdom of the beast is still extant. Then when the sixth angel poured his bowl, it was upon the Euphrates. When the seventh angel uh, blew his trumpet, it was upon uh, loosing the four angels which were bound in the great river Euphrates. So the same focus is Euphrates. The seventh trumpet, it's over, the kingdom of God is declared. The seventh bowl, it's done, and the kingdom of God is established. So what we're seeing, and, and the difference is with the trumpets, we see a third part. A third part was bur burned up, a third part of the trees that were, died in the sea, or a third part of the creatures in the sea died. So it's a third, the, the trumpets basically begin the process, and the plagues finish it. But it's very clear when we put it side by side like this, that the seventh the seven bowls do not come after the seventh trumpet because when the seventh trumpet is blown it's the end the kingdom of god is established and when the seven bowls are poured we see that the beast power is still extant and so these bowls are corresponding perfectly with the trumpets the trumpets begin the wrath of god and the bowls finish it So next week, we will move into chapter 17. So we're really coming down to the end now. And this is all about the wrath of God and bringing down Babylon. And it, it's over now. It's done. But in chapters 17 and 18, and even into 19, we're getting the details of how this Babylonian system comes down. But from the seventh trumpet, it's done. And then we go back in time and we, we get another review and another replay of it. And we see now the seven bowls with these, with these seven last plagues. And by the seventh plague, it's done. The kingdoms of the world are over. But now still, this is apocalyptic literature. So it doesn't follow this straight linear line the way we think and the way we would like it to. So it's apocalyptic. It's symbolic. And it's like, a, it's like a dream where things somehow don't make sense, but they need to be interpreted. And so we're now going to, through chapters 17, 18, and 19, we are going to 
uh, get more detail in how the Babylonian system comes down. As we're moving to the end of Revelation, uh, maybe I'd like to ask you to start thinking about what book you'd like us to cover next. And I have two in mind. I'm thinking partially the book of Hebrews, because here in Revelation we see that when the beast comes into his power, the saints are hunted down, the saints are persecuted, he prevails against the saints. And Hebrews is all about standing strong in the face of persecution. So I think there's a lot that we could draw from Hebrews on the heels of Revelation. The other book that I'm thinking of is the book of Isaiah. This is a very, very interesting book. It's like the whole Bible is in Isaiah. The Bible has 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. You know, 39 books are Old Testament, 27 are New Testament. Well, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah focus on the Old Covenant. The final 27 focus on the New Covenant. And, and, and Christ, when he was on earth, quoted extensively from the prophet Isaiah. And I don't think we've ever gone line by line through this book. It's a, it's a big book, it'll take us some time, but uh, that's the other book that I'm thinking of. Uh, but maybe just I uh, wouldn't mind uh, getting your feedback in the chat on Facebook, uh, or you can email me adrian.davis at cgicanada.org. And as we get towards the end of uh, Revelation, I need to start, be pre I need to start preparing uh, for our next book. So God bless you all. Remember, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is righteous. His judgments are righteous. And he will act. He's patient, but he will act. Even so, amen.